Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. All right, welcome to church, everybody. Who's feeling good about the Astros? Anybody in the house? If you're cheering for Walgreens, no, we're not doing it. All right. (laughs) Well, today is week three of our series called Cover the Earth, where we've been talking about the all too often forgotten or misunderstood part of the triune God, which is the Holy Spirit. And man, I I really hope that this has been helpful and encouraging so far. Has it been helpful, everybody? I hope. Good. So before we jump in today, I just want to remind you of a few things. Foundations began this morning um, at 9 a.m. in room 101. If you are interested in kind of going back to the beginning, if you will, and just kind of getting some essential roots of the faith, that is for you. 9 a.m. room 101. Also, growth track today is week four, which means it's join the team day. If you want to hear all, there you go, come on. If you want to hear all the different ways you can make a difference here um, together in community, at declaration, please go check out Growth track, don't worry. You're like, hey, I, I, I want to start on one. I hear you, but you can always come back to one next week, all right? So make sure you do that. And also just want to remind you about movement. Um, please be praying for us tonight. The, the elders, the leadership team is going to be meeting and praying. And um, I think that we're, I said this about a month ago, but I really actually think we're getting very, very close to having something to talk about, you know, of substance with, with this land thing. So be praying about that. Would you do that? Could I get you to commit to that tonight? Would you pray for us tonight? Of course, we're going to move our meeting up because the Astros start at 7. So, amen. How you Okay. So, <laughs> well, let's look back at our theme verses for the series. Acts chapters uh, 19, verses 1 and 2. Um, while Apollos was at Corinth, uh, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. I like it. You go this way, I'll go that way. We're going to kind of tackle this thing together. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, and for the last few weeks and for the next few weeks, I'll continue to, to bring this verse to light because we're, we're going to be tackling it over the next few weeks together, but, but it's an important part of this whole series because, like I said earlier, and I'll continue to say, this verse challenges me. It challenges me. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the next verse, obviously, verse 2 um, no, they answered, well, I haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. All right, so that's one of our theme verses. The next one, John 14, 15 through 17, starts like this. If you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. Maybe your translation says comforter. Maybe it says counselor. Maybe it says helper. Maybe it says friend. But just know that that's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's going to send you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. Now, remember, this is in context of John 14, 15, uh, 16, where, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's in his final hours with his disciples, and, and he's saying, hey, i got to go away, but it's actually good for you. It's better for you that I go, because when I go, I'm going to send this, this advocate. This is the spirit of truth. Um, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Next slide, it says, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And this is the question that we've been asking. Do we really know the Holy Spirit? Because to To really know God is to really know the Holy Spirit. Um, I I just kind of contend that uh, in order to live a victorious, abundant life in Christ, you're going to have to learn more than the formulas. You're going to have to embrace faith in a way that develops this relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And so to really know God is to really know the Holy Spirit. 
D.L. Moody once said this. He said, you might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Or, as we've been studying by saying we need the Holy Spirit, we are really saying we need God. We need God. We need his breath in our lungs. We need his, his breath in our lives. And, and we need the authority and the power of that, that wind, that ruach, that pneuma of God. Charles Spurgeon once said, without the spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. We need the Holy Spirit. To quote another author um, and teacher, Lila Gifty Akita, to reject the Holy Scripture is to reject the Holy Spirit, to which I would add, to reject the Holy Spirit is to reject the Holy Scripture as well. In the New Testament alone, the term Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, um, now as we know it, the pneuma or the breath of God um, is discussed at least 90 times just within the New Testament alone with the sacredness of the Holy Spirit to Christians being affirmed in all three synoptic gospels. We see it in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Mark chapter 3, and Luke chapter 12, which proclaims something that we're going to focus in today. And this is what it proclaims. It proclaims that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. And this is exactly what I want to talk about today, the Holy Spirit and the unforgivable sin. I want to discuss a few things. Number one, because I want to separate them a little bit. Because if you're like me, you hear that verse, you read it, and you're like, oh my gosh, what is that? And have I done that? Right? <laughs> but I want to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. And then I want to talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit and what these look like, both personally and I'll briefly touch on corporately. Uh, I know, right? It sounds like a super fun Sunday, very life-giving, right? Encouraging. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We've been using this verse as well, and we will continue. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the NLT, I like these, this language. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. And as we saw last week, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, has a mind, a will, and an emotion. Much like us, we have a, a mind, we have a will, we have emotion that needs to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And here we see that, that we're not to grieve or bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way that we choose to live and operate. Paul goes on to write, and he gives us the why here. He says, remember, he has identified you as his own. You belong to him now when you surrender you, you surrender all rights as well to him. Does that make sense? So you belong to him. He, he has identified you as his own. And then it says this. I love this word. Guaranteeing. Look at a neighbor and say it's guaranteed. Tell somebody. Guaranteeing. This is, I want you to hear me. This is better than a promise. Okay? Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The Christian Standard Bible says it like this. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Sealed meaning, all right, he put his stamp of ownership on your life. He, his seal is placed upon your life as a sign of belonging to him or ownership. Um, the only visual I had for this is if, if you watch some of these older war movies and, and the king, as soon as he writes his letter, he, he kind of seals it and he takes wax, right, and melts it and then he, he puts his stamp of it. So you know it came from the king and it's not to be opened by, except for the person that it was addressed to. Sealed by the Spirit. This is a part where I feel like we 
um, have kind of gotten a little confused, just slightly, all right? So just know that. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, meaning that you are guaranteed by his seal of ownership on your life that you will be saved on that future day when we will all be resurrected from this life, changed, and we receive that resurrected body. This seal is a promise of God for eternal security through Jesus. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? Because I know that there's some traditions that would, that would rub against that teaching. This seal, go back to the blood of Jesus, this seal is the promise of God, the guarantee of God for your eternal security in Christ Jesus. Now let me just pause and, and add a little bit for you. Um, I struggle with this idea that there's something in your flesh that you can do to usurp the power and the authority of the blood of Christ. And so when, when it says you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, it's saying, man, this is once and done, now and forevermore. Your surrender and your submission of your life unto him gives this, this ability for the Spirit of God. Um, Jesus says, yes, okay, I see it. I'm going to seal you by the Holy Spirit, stamped with a seal of ownership, guaranteeing that you are his forevermore. So Paul's saying, don't grieve the very one who seals you with this stamp of not only just approval, but of eternal promise. That's what he's saying. So then, how do we or how could we grieve the Spirit? And this is, this is where I want to camp most of the message today. So I'm going to give you the first point. How could we grieve the Holy Spirit? We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we, number one, when we rebel against the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. When we rebel against the Holy Spirit. So to rebel means to oppose or disobey one in authority or control. So Paul warns us in his letter to the church at Galatia that our flesh, our sinful desires will be at war with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17. It says, so I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. You're not going to do whatever you want. So, so, so you may say, okay, pastor, that's good, but, but doesn't Romans say that we are free in Christ? Well, yes, you are free. So shouldn't we be free to do whatever we want to do? To which I would say to you, of course, freedom means free. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says, he addresses this very thing. He says, he says I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. In other words, everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. It's not profitable. we got to remember that God sent Holy Spirit to us as a gift, as our advocate, as our friend, as our counselor, as our comforter, as our helper, and as our guide. John 14, 16, we saw that where Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father to send you this, this advocate, this helper, this counselor, this comforter, this friend, this guide, this leader. He will lead us. This is one of his roles in our lives, to lead us. So when we rebel against him, when we oppose the Holy Spirit's leadership in our life, those moments where you know you hear somewhere in your gut, don't do that. Those times when you hear just, there's it's almost an audible voice saying, it's time for you to leave here. Don't go there. When we rebel against that, when we oppose the Holy Spirit's leadership, this is what we're doing. We're opposing God. 
when we disobey the promptings, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we are disobeying the voice of God who has nothing but good things for you. He sees the bigger picture. He knows the plan. So he's, he's trying to lead us, um, Psalm 16, that he would lead us in the path of everlasting life, the fullness of the pleasures of joy. Isaiah 63.10, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Man, when I was studying it and that verse pops up, that's just a really hard, scary verse to think about. When they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and God turned against them became their enemy, and he fought against them, it says. So when we rebel against the Holy Spirit, we have the potential to grieve the Holy Spirit. And truth is, we're really rebelling against and grieving God. And when we rebel against God, basically saying no thank you to the friendship of God, when we set ourselves up basically to become an enemy of God, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we rebel against the Holy Spirit. Here's another way that you grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, when we resist the Holy Spirit. When we resist the Holy Spirit. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we resist the Holy Spirit. According to Webster, um, to resist means to exert force in opposition, to withstand the force or effect of, not to be confused with rebelling against the Holy Spirit because these two could seemingly be intermingled in some ways. But I'm going to use the word resist here for those who have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus but know that they need to. They've, they know that they need to. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit um, begins to beckon, begins to call, when, when, you, when you're sitting in a moment and, and you, you know, you've encountered God, you realize your need for God, but you resist God. Your heart's beating fast, man. Your hands are sweaty. You're trying to grip onto the chair. You're like, ah, you're trying to hang on to you. Resist. That's what I'm saying. They basically stiff arm God. And now listen to me for a minute. Resisting the Holy, can I say this? Listen, resisting the Holy Spirit ends up to relying on the devil. That's, that's where it goes. So resisting the Holy Spirit ends up relying on the devil. To, to resist the Holy Spirit is to say, I don't want your friendship, Holy Spirit. I don't need your comfort. I don't need your counsel. I'm going to resist. I don't need you to be my advocate. I don't need you to fight for me. I'm going to resist. You're really saying, I don't want your leadership. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your friendship, God. You're also saying, I'd rather serve the lust of my flesh, the desires of my flesh, than live a life of forgiveness and freedom in Christ. That's what we're saying when we resist the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're saying, I'd rather be friends of this world than friends of God, to which I would say, let's go to James chapter 4 and look at verses 4 through 7. He says, you adulterers, I mean, this is harsh language that James brings out. He says, you adulterers, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're kind of hanging out at a party and somebody busts and he goes, adulterer, it's probably going <laughs> to needle off the record moment, right? <laughs> you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, he says, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourselves an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. That which God has given you should be faithful. And he gives grace so generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we shouldn't resist the Holy Spirit. We should resist the devil, 
And what does it say? When we resist the devil, he will what? He will flee from you. When you disobey the devil, you obey the Holy Spirit. And the devil will run away because the last, let me say, the last thing the devil wants to deal with is a spirit-filled believer of Jesus obeying Jesus. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we resist the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want you to see today about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit is this. When we rebuke the Holy Spirit. To rebuke, according to Webster means, um, it's an expression of sharp disapproval or criticism. And it's basically, I add this, it's, it's unbelief at its core. It's unbelief. To rebuke the Holy Spirit is to choose to not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit or the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Thus, ignoring the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Or maybe your translation says stifle or turn away from or extinguish or restrain. Do not restrain the Holy Spirit. That's actually different translations that I've studied to see what does this word quench look like around the board when it comes to translators. Don't quench. Don't, stri- don't stifle. Don't restrain. Don't extinguish. Side note, just for us, you cannot control or contain the Holy Spirit. So let's stop trying to, Right? You can't do it. It's like um, my more theological, uh, reformed theological buddy once said, I told you this a couple weeks ago. He said, oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit with seatbelts. You can't restrain. You can't control or contain him. He's basically saying, well, as long as the Holy Spirit stays in his carefully crafted lane, the theological comfortable and, and contained lane that I can believe in, it's all good. Right? As long as he stays defined in the box of belief that I'm comfortable with, it's all good. But remember, remember, from our very first week, the Holy Spirit, the the Ruach, the Pneuma, the breath of God is unseen, it's unpredictable, it's all-powerful, and it's refreshing. Remember, He is good, and everything He has for us is good. He is good, and don't forget, He is God. He's God. And listen, I know that there's some systems of belief or certain theological systems that teach that God has ceased in miracles, gifts, and signs and wonders But church, again, please hear me say, while I deeply respect so many of these brothers and sisters, in case you were on Facebook this week, that teach this system of cessationism theology, I want to honor them, but I do not agree with them. And I'm going to lay lay out why. Because 1 Timothy 4.1 says, right here, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. I personally believe, as your pastor, that teaching unbelief in the Holy Spirit, which is in essence teaching unbelief in God, is a deceitful teaching of demons. The the greatest deception, the greatest deception of the devil is that which convinces you to deny the Holy Spirit of God. Now, now listen to me for a minute. If the devil can't strip you of your salvation and your position in God, he'll do whatever he can to strip you of the power of God. Are you with me? The best, most convenient and effective way to do that is to teach you unbelief in the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. So look at it. Romans 11.34. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or maybe your translation says, who could give him advice? So for all of us who, who craft these ideas from, from pulling stuff out of different places of Scripture and try to build our thesis or our argument, um, 
Man, who can know the mind of God? Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? Jesus is God. So therefore, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, and guess what? Holy Spirit is God. So he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We also see that in the last days, which, by the way, welcome to the last days. We're glad you're here. Um, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, the New Testament church. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your son, does this sound familiar? In the New Testament church, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And also in those last days today, many will have a form of godliness, but no function to it. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Do not rebuke the Holy Spirit. See, it can become all pretense with no purpose if we're we're not careful. What what should be supernatural is denied and diluted and even sometimes theologically demanded to be natural, all while selling it to be radical, life-changing, and life-giving. But apart from the Holy Spirit of God, it's not radical at all. It's just religious. It's just religious. And it's not relationship with God at all. It's just religion. It says in the last days, people will rebuke the Holy Spirit, looking religious, even chasing rebellion, all while having a form of godliness, but denying its power, which comes from the Holy Spirit. But the very same power, according to Romans 8, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he sends to live inside of us, inside of you, inside of me can live in us, can be life-giving and life-changing, can make the natural supernatural. Come on, somebody. Are you here today? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. Now, please be careful. Please be careful. Please be careful. It's so easy to watch some TV you know, ministry or something and, and, and decide to turn it off. And, and while you're turning it off, you're so disgusted with the activity of some that you'll, that you'll forego the activity of God as well. Please be careful. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. So those that, that, that God has given the Spirit to, we cannot find ourselves in the same predicament as that which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 2. We cannot consider the Holy Spirit foolishness. We can't. Let's not rebuke the Holy Spirit through our unbelief. Author Jenny Allen said, There's an enemy, and he is after something in your life, and it is the truth. And I fear that we do not take this seriously enough. And she says, If I were your enemy, I would make you numb and distract you from God's story. She says, I would use technology, social media, Netflix, travel, food, wine, comfort. And I wouldn't tempt you with the notably bad things or you would get suspicious. I would distract you with everyday comforts that slowly feed you a different story and make you forget God. Then you would dismiss the spirits leading in you, loving you, and comforting you. And you would love comfort more than surrender, obedience, and the saving of souls. 
We can't rebuke the Holy Spirit through our unbelief. Number four, the fourth way we can grieve the Holy Spirit is when we revile the Holy Spirit. So what does revile mean? Well, the dictionary says to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner or also to mock, to lie to. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. I told you about Pastor Robert Morris from, from Gateway in, in, in Dallas when he went to Bible school and his pastor at the time said, be careful, stay away from that Holy Spirit stuff. Stay away from those Holy Spirit people. In other words, stay away from that God stuff. Stay away from those God people, he was saying. This is denying the person of God in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Listen, God is not to be mocked or reviled or lied to. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I kind of touched on this the other day when I was showing you that the Holy Spirit is God. We're going to come back to it, but I want you to see the whole story now. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. There was a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, and they sell this piece of property. Now, I want you to understand some backstory. They had seen Barnabas sell some property and, and give all the money that he had made. And man, Barnabas all of a sudden had all this respect. So they want to be this, they want that type of respect for themselves, right? They, they want to be noticed in that way. They want to be applauded, and so they come up with a plan. Well, they're going to sell property as well. So with his wife's full knowledge, it says in verse 2, um, they sell it, and he keeps back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, again, some context. Um, they sold their possession, right? But they kept back, meaning they misappropriated part of the proceeds, and they only gave a portion to the church while saying, implying that they were sacrificing and giving it all. So they were lying. And look, both Ananias and Sapphira, they're aware of this. They both know that they're being deceiving. So Peter confronts Ananias. Look at verse 3. Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've kept for yourself some of this money that you received for this land. See, it wasn't about the, the percentages. No, 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 no. It was about the posture. It was about the motivation. It was about the fact that they were saying that they were giving it all, but they didn't. How could you, how has Satan filled your heart to such a degree that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? I mean, didn't, didn't it belong to you anyway before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? He says, what made you think of doing this? I mean, you, you've not just lied to humans, you lied to God. That's what he says. You just lied to God. Now watch what happens. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. God cannot be mocked. <laughs> he will not be mocked. He fell down and he is D-E-D dead right there, y'all. Yes, I know how to really spell it, okay? Go with me. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward. They, they wrapped his body up and they carry him out and bury him. About three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what's happened. And, and, and now, um, look what happens. Peter confronts her. Um, he says, uh, so tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for this land? Uh, yes, that is the price. So Peter says to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? How could you mock God? How could you lie to God in this way? He's saying, he already knows everything. How could you do this? And he says this, he goes, listen, the, the, the feet of the very men who buried your husband at the door, or at the door, they're going to carry you out also. 
At that moment, guess what happens? She falls down at his feet and she dies. Then the young men, they come in, find her dead, carry her out, and bury her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, listen, we cannot and most definitely should not mock the Holy Spirit. We should not lie to the Holy Spirit. We should not lie or revile the Holy Spirit. Because when we do, we lie and revile God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 and 11. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thought except for their own spirit within them. God already knew. He knew what Ananias had done. He knew what Sapphira had done. He already knew. You cannot lie. That means he knows what I've done. He knows what you do. He knows what we are about. We cannot lie to God. We cannot mock God. We cannot revile God. I spoke to it earlier at the beginning of our message today. So those are kind of the four ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So with all that said, then, what is of this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And, and what is this where it says, this is a sin for which there is no forgiveness? Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 10. I think we've got it. And everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, you speak against me, forgiven. You speak against God, forgiven. You blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. So now as a kid, I grew up believing that blasphemy was when you attached an unloving, bad word, cuss word to the backside of God's name. <laughs> That's what I believed. Somebody told me, ooh, you should never, ever, ever say this. That is blasphemy. You will straight go to hell. You know, like, whoa. So let me tell you what the dictionary defines blasphemy as. It says, the action or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things, profane talk. Well, now I know why we got that. But this is another case where our English language and translation from the original biblical manuscripts fail us just a little bit. And though I would say, um, I would not advise speaking profanely about God. It's probably not a good plan, um, just a helpful tip. But blasphemy, the, this unforgivable sin, really deals with the resistance against the calling of the Spirit of God in one's life to surrender to God. This is honestly... Um, just This has, again, been a fear of mine my whole life once I heard this phrase, blasphemy, unforgiven, da 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 I mean, just, man, the last thing I want to do is commit that, right? So somehow um, my actions as a believer in Jesus have, have you know, that, that, that somehow something I could do, that those actions could outpace the grace of God in some way, right? Um, that I would commit some horrific, unforgivable sin called blasphemy through my rebellion of my past or whatever. But I, I want to tell you what Pastor J.D. Greer said. Um, good stuff. He said that he too also struggled with this fear at one time until another pastor um, encouraged him and said this. He said, if you're concerned or worried that you've committed that form of blasphemy, you probably haven't. And he goes on. The idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit includes the removal of any desire to be reconciled to Jesus. It's God, after all, according to Philippians 2, who puts in us this desire to come to him. So therefore, any fear about having reached some point of no return is good proof that you probably have not. If you want to repent, he will always receive you. He will not cast you out for any reason. Look at John 6 for that. Just that encouragement. And those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I love some of the songs we sang because it basically spoke to that very promise. 
counselor and biblical scholar Ed Welch, he gives us this very biblical and compassionate definition of blasphemy. And I'm going to summarize how he defines it. Um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He says, blasphemy against the Spirit is any hardened or consistent stance against God. We all have moments, even sustained periods of our lives when we choose to defy God. But there may come a point in a person's life when that becomes an unyielding defiance against God and he or she refuses to let the Spirit of God speak or lead. At that point, God finally says, you want to do this on your own? You want me out of your life? Okay. And he will turn them over to their sin. We see it in Romans 1. Or to put it another way, the only unpardonable sin is refusing to let God pardon you. Blasphemy. It was probably about 2004, um, before YouTube was really YouTube, like the largest search engine in the world, by the way. I don't know if you know that. But these videos started becoming viral before we even knew what viral really was, to be honest. And what they were were videos of people standing in a church service where you could see the church service happening behind them. And the whole point of them shooting that video was to renounce their faith in God. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They have become so hardened and defiant against God that they refuse to surrender even when God calls to them. And they choose to defy God at every turn until God finally says, okay, you can have it your way. And again, the only unpardonable sin, refusing to let God pardon you. So listen, let's not allow this to be an issue for us, right? I mean, let's not defy or deny God. Let's not choose unbelief in God. Let's not resist God. Let's, let's, let's not rebel against God. Let's not rebuke him or revile him. Let's not mock him or lie to him. Let's not try to contain him or control him. Let's not blaspheme him. Um, let's not quench him or grieve him or stifle him or or try to eradicate him in some way as if we could extinguish him. Let, let's believe him and receive all the fullness that he has for us. Amen? He only has good things for us because he's good. And let's also not forget he's God. There's another scary word we see in scripture that I believe has to do with blasphemy. I told you I would turn it corporate for just a second. And that word is Ichabod. And I don't know if you've heard this word before, Ichabod. Ichabod is a Hebrew word that means no glory, without glory, inglorious, or where is the glory? I want to ask you, can you imagine living a life void of the glory of God? Can you imagine being a church void of the glory of God? And that's, that's what can happen. When, when, when a church chooses to turn its back on the person of the Godhead and the Holy Spirit, eventually... With, with all form and no function, right, with all pretense and no purpose, God will just retract. He will pull back. In his presence, it's almost like Elvis has left the building. God's presence will leave the building and just might as well pant Ichabod across the house because the glory of God will leave as he steps out. This is scary stuff right there. This is why, you know, A.W. Tozier, so far ahead of his time, people didn't really like him when he was alive. And always, you got, you got to die for people to kind of like you. That's weird. 
in our culture. <laughs> but um, this is what, you know, and, and, and I've got some quotes I'll share with you in the days to come. But, but he would say things like, you know, if the Spirit of God left 95% of the church today, it would take months for the church to realize that he left. So listen, listen, listen. This is why you may wonder why, why, why I like declaration. It's okay, but why do they always talk about the Holy Spirit so much? Why, why, do, why, why do they always pray? And when he's praying, Holy Spirit, would you come? Because here's why. We need the presence of Jesus. I, I can't just stand up here and read this book to you. The only thing that makes this book really alive and, and active in your world is if the presence of God illuminates it for you and opens it in a way where you, when you read it, you don't just read words. You read the word. And the word is a person. And that person is God himself standing in this place with us, ministering to you through his word. Do you see it? We need the Holy Spirit of God. We will be a church that will always say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, this is your house. <laughs> it's not ours. Why do you think our leadership has tiptoed for so long just begging God to give us wisdom to make the right decisions on your behalf? Because we realize we're not stewarding our house. We're stewarding God's house. And we need the Spirit of God to give us discernment and direction and wisdom so that we know the way by which we should walk. Today, maybe we need to get just a few things right with God, just in thinking about this. Um, so let me just kind of give you some application. Let's start here. I'm going to invite the team up, but let's start here. Maybe we would say, God, search me. Search me. I want to use one passage that is a very famous passage for two of our application points today. Number one, Search me, Psalm 139. What does it say right there, the two words? Search me. God, know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Search me, God. Clear my mind. Take away whatever idol of intellect I've erected against you, Holy Spirit. Take away whatever tradition that I may have worshipped over truth about you, Holy Spirit, and search me. Know my heart, test me. Know any anxiety I may have, even in regards to you. Search me. See if there is any offensive way in me. Show me where I've grieved you, Holy Spirit, so I can see it. Search me. And number two, maybe you would say, and show me. Show me, God. Look at it from the New Living. I like this language. Same passage, Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. And it says, point out anything. So God, search me and show me. Point it out to me. Point out anything in me that offends you, that grieves you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So search me, God. Show me. Number three, forgive me. Forgive me. And this is where I found myself a few years back. Just saying, God, I repent of my rebellion against you. See, I, I liked the, the idea of the love of the Father, and, and I deeply appreciated the grace of the Son, but I didn't understand the Holy Spirit, so I just ignored him. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. I repent of my rebellion. I repent of rebuking you and my unbelief. I repent of resisting you. Maybe you're sitting here and, and you know that God has invited you to this abundant life in him, but you've resisted for so long. I repent of res 
for resisting you, God. I repent of mocking you or lying to you. Forgive me. Here's good news for somebody today. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will. Look what it says. And he will. Say will. He will forgive. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. So search me, show me, forgive me. And finally, God, fill me. Fill me. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time just talking about fill me, God. What it looks like, fill me. But I'm going to give you three verses, too, I gave you last week. Number one, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit of God. Because I want you to see that this is biblical. And I also want you to see that a lot of times we can confuse where Ephesians said, and you were sealed by the Spirit. But we also have language right here in the text that also says filled by the Spirit. And so I believe that we need to begin to to start looking at these things as, as two separate different things biblically. And again, I know that this challenges you because it challenged me big time. But this is right here in the text. I'm going to give you three, but I promise there's so many more that we're going to look at. Be filled with the Spirit, Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And finally, Exodus. Go back Old Testament. Let's go OG old school for a second, all right? Exodus chapter 35. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. So God, search me, show me, forgive me. Fill me. I want everything that you have for me, God. Everything that you have. Because everything that you have for me is good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your life-giving word empowered by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that the seeds that have been sown, even still, even now, would begin to yield a very fruitful harvest in so many lives today. God, this is where abundance is found. This is where victory is realized, God. God, I pray that all of these things we apply across every aspect of our life, God. We don't need any more, um, we don't need to be more committed. We just need to be more submitted. And so, Father, I pray that we would submit and surrender every detail of our lives. Our minds, our intellect, our will, our emotion, our marriage, our children, our school, our job. Whatever it is, we say yes to you. We submit. We surrender. We lay these things at your feet. And God, search us. Show us where we have failed you. Show us where we have denied you. Show us where we have grieved you. Forgive us, God, and fill us. Fill us with the fullness of your Holy Spirit, overflowing with fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. No more worry, God, faith. No more fear, God, trust. Give us trust and faith as we submit and as we surrender. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.